Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we hear about how God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. We're excited you've joined us. Here's our host, Brett Marani. It has been 30, I guess, what, three years since I first met Jimmy Daniel. I was living in Odessa, Texas, going to Odessa College, and Jimmy became the director of the Baptist Student Union at Odessa College and at Midland College and at UTPB, which is the University of Texas of the Permian Basin. And I am so thrilled that he's agreed to come on Sound of Truth Weekly Interview to talk to me and share his testimony. Jimmy, welcome to Sound of Truth. Thank you, Brett. It's a pleasure. It has been a long time. We've known each other a long time. So Jimmy is married to Sue for how many years now, Jimmy? 40 years. We oh, celebrated wow. 40 years um, July 30th. Congratulations. They have two grown kids, Jonathan and Amanda, and they have four grandchildren. Now, Jimmy, you stayed in Odessa Midland area for there in the Permian Basin for what, a couple years after I left that area? Yeah, yeah, we were there from uh, 1989 to 1995, and then continued to do work with Baptist Student Union and Baptist, they changed the name to Baptist Student Ministry. Uh, later, and worked with that organization for 23 years through our the state uh, Baptist convention here in Texas. Now, when you came to yeah. Odessa, you had come from College Station, Giga Maggie's, where <laughs> you were one of the associate directors, I guess you would call it, of the ministry there. And after you left uh, Odessa, did you go to San Angelo first and then the University of Texas, or what was the order there? Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, I started at A&M. I was fresh out of seminary. Um, didn't know anything, but thought I knew everything. Had a great mentor there, uh, Mike Graham, who was the director there. And uh, in fact, I, I, there's a, a great story that he, um, I got in his office on the first day. He said, Jimmy, where are you in your relationship with God? You know, um, and I, I said very honestly, to be honest, seminary was a great academic experience, but I'm not feeling as connected to God now as I did before I went to seminary, mm. to which he said, then you're, you're not going to be any use to me now. <laughs> I'm sending you home, and I want you to just spend time as long as you need to reestablish your relationship with God, to feel his power, to feel um, his call in your life once again. And when, when you're ready, you come back. But you're no use to me if your relationship with God isn't, isn't vital. Wow. And so I, I left. It was first day on the job. I, I was asked to leave. With pay. Uh, <laughs> with pay. That's a good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a great formative experience in my life to just spend three or four days on, uh, only on my relationship with God. And, you know, since then I've, I've tried to have retreats where I had the same kind of experience of, of connecting uh, with the Lord. Let's stay on that for just a moment. I think that's very significant that he didn't see this just as a job. He understood that you were in a calling and that you were, I mean, he really got the John 15 principle there, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. And um, I'd never been around anybody like him. I remember when he was, we were talking about filling out monthly reports and he said, Jimmy, you know, be honest on your monthly reports but I don't want you to spend much time on it. You, you know, he, he said our, our, our employer, our state convention 
it's kind of like Rome, and we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God that which is God. And he 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 said, your priority is college students here at Texas A and M. You mm. need to be involved in loving them and caring for them. So, uh, and then when it came to goals and things like that, he said, well, do your goals, stick them in a file folder, but you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be led by a goal that's on a piece of paper. Mm. Um, you need to be led by the, the living Lord. So yeah, my approach to ministry was was greatly affected by Mike. And he, he made clear that I always understood that my call was from God. My call was not from my employer. Um, my call was from God himself. And, and that's what I needed to, to answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, very formative. Some, sometimes I've done that well. Sometimes I haven't done that so well. Now, our, our, our audience is mostly people who are not in vocational ministry. And, and I think I want to make a just clarification here that we're, we're not communicating in any way or fashion that you, you're to disrespect your employer or, or you know. Correct. Or be one of these people that sure. sits around and reads their Bible at, at the office all the time instead of getting your job done and working hard for your, your employer. And But vocational ministry can be a little bit different in that way. Um, it is. It is. So, yeah. But uh, I love that. And, and I don't know when you tapped into John 15 in particular, but you very much influenced mm-hmm. me. I don't know if you remember doing this, but you did a study of John 15 while I was under your ministry in, in college mm-hmm. there. And it was very impactful to me about the whole... Uh, relationship with the uh, of the vine, you know, the being connected, vitally connected to Jesus Christ. Did you get that while you're at A and M, or did that come from seminary, or where where did you tap into that for yourself personally? The Christ okay, that life, was a long you know? time ago, Brett. You know, I'm not sure where I got that. I know early in my walk with Christ, John was, you know, I I was encouraged to to read John and to stay there, and so I think that was probably where it came from. I, you know. Um, I don't remember it, frankly. I'm sure I, um, and I still teach a lot in John 15 and mm-hmm. John 13 through 17, really those those last words that Jesus is giving to to his disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, you know, the last thing you have to say to somebody is usually something very, very important. And um, and I think what Jesus said in those chapters was or is was really foundational to the next step in Christianity. Yeah. Uh, post post-crucifixion resurrection. Yeah. So, you know, that's always influenced me greatly, uh, that passage. That, the other passage for me, Romans 12, is, to me, is a summary of what the church should look like. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, there's a lot in those, those verses. I think there's 23 verses. And after I left the Permian Basin, I left Midland, uh, I went to San Angelo, and one of the things I had my leadership team there do is memorize uh, Romans 12. Mm. Uh, and so we did that over the course of the first semester with all of our leadership team. And, and they, they they will still refer to that today as, as really foundational for them. But yeah, John 15 it's, has been a passage that's influenced me for a long time. So you're at A&M and you're under Mike Graham's ministry, which I had the privilege of sitting under him for one or two sessions out at Glorietta, New Mexico, when you took us out there. Uh, for mm-hmm. Student Week in Glorietta back in, I guess it was 1989. And I went to a couple of his breakout sessions. And, and, and just by the way, he, one of the things he said in a breakout session, I can remember to this day because I'd never heard it before, and I chewed on it for years and wrestled through whether or not his interpretation was correct. And I have definitely come to embrace his interpretation. And it, it's, it shakes some people up when I preach it because 
in our kind of denominational tribe and background, people are really, we emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ. We emphasize his divinity when we're in the Gospels. And But one of the things Mike said was that, you know, the whole Jesus laying aside, what, what did he lay aside when he left the glories of heaven and, and in the incarnation came down to earth and became a man? We, you know, all believers, we believe that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But when he was walking the earth, how much of his godness, if you will, his divinity, his deity, his powers, did he did he access? And I guess my position up to that point has always had always been he could turn off, on or off the God thing whenever he wanted to. And I think there's some truth in that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But whenever he would do a miracle or he'd have insight into knowing a person's heart, it was always, you know, oh, well, he's God. He knows that. And mm-hmm. Mike said that he believed that while Jesus was walking on the earth, definitely prior to the crucifixion, he did not access his divine omniscience, omnipotence, or omnipresence at all. But instead, mm-hmm. in order to be tempted in every way you and I were, and to represent as the proper legitimate atoning sacrifice for us, he had to be like us. And so he, he, he laid that aside, and everything he did miraculous was in the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not because yep. of his deity. And boy, that really challenged my thinking at the time. And so, like I said, for years off and on, I, I wrestled with that, but I've come to completely agree with Mike's position now. I think mm-hmm. that is the proper position. It freaks people out because they think you're belittling Jesus or denying his divinity or deity, which you're not at all by having this position. No, no. But uh, anyway, I don't know if you remember him teaching on that or, or what. But Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Jesus was, was our model in terms of connecting with the Father through the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. And, you know, that's our, he, he subject, he, he did definitely put everything that he could have done from a, a um, power perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I'm going to model how it will be when I'm gone. I'm going to trust the Father. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. I'm going to subject myself to them while I am here so that I can be fully man. And you're right. That model that he gave us is, is really, it's huge. And he, he could not have been the Messiah if he was not fully man. He mm-hmm. could not have been the Messiah if he was not fully God. And both aspects are, are there. And the fully man part, though, gives us a picture of what it looks like for somebody completely submitted to God and mm-hmm. um, connected to him through the Holy Spirit and empowered completely by the Holy Spirit. So yeah, I think it's it's amazing, and I, I'm so glad that was the approach God took because I think yeah, and a lot of people do miss that. All they see is the divinity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Almost like he's a walking around as a superhero, like you know, yeah, yeah, halo on the head, mm-hmm. uh, cape on back, ready to do superhuman things. But uh, and he, you know, he did superhuman things through the Father through the Holy Spirit, but not, but never, uh, but always going through the, the same ways we would have to go through that, you know, accessing the Father and accessing the Holy Spirit and His power and strength. Um, so I, yeah, I'm glad it, I'm glad it happened that way. I think, mm-hmm. it, I think we, we don't teach enough. And I think if people understood the humanity of Jesus more than they do, they would, they would relate to Him a lot more. I know in college, it was hard, you know, i struggled to relate because all I knew from my early childhood was the divinity of Christ. I never had thought through the impact that his humanity had um, and him, you know, submitting, giving up all of what he had 
to be fully human so that he could be, like you said, tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. So yeah, it's, it, it, it's foundational theologically, and it's foundational relationally as a model for us moving forward. Now, that was something I learned from Mike that stuck with me. Anything else you want to share that you, you mentioned him as a mentor that you really learned from this man of God who, who was mentoring you in your early ministry? Yeah, later in life, after I'd left a and and got and was in working with college students, different places, Mike went through some really difficult times from a, a mental health standpoint. He struggled to the point where he had to resign, ultimately got the help that he needed, uh, became a chaplain at a local hospital and college station, and had an incredible influence. There were over 2,000 people at his at his funeral, he died tragically in a car accident, mm. but but had incredible influence on on the people that he touched. Both, you know, and part of that last part of his life, it was it was his vulnerability that was amazing, as he had to lean into God in a way that he never had because of his weakness that he he experienced. Uh, that we a lot of us experience the mental health challenges that we have. Mm-hmm. So I saw a different side of Mike at that time. There was a humility that. That was there that God built into him toward that the end of his ministry. Now, let me ask you this: Did that shake you at all when you discovered, you know, this guy you looked up to so much and was so influential in your life? I guess you maybe worked with him enough to know he was human. But sometimes we we idolize our mentors or put people on pedestals. And yeah, the first time I I heard he was experiencing some struggles, and nobody would get specific with me, and I had to call Mike uh, to to get the story. But it was yeah, it was a the man that I, I felt really embodied Jesus more than anybody else I knew was had this mental health struggle. And, and it, it did. I, I couldn't, I, you know, why? How did this happen? And, you know, it was a, a chance for me to understand how mental health and spiritual health are separate and yet connected, but that we can be where we think we need to be spiritually and then suffer through some mental illness, maybe because of instances from our childhood or um, other traumatic experience or, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever the trigger might be. But but we can be there. And later in life, I, that's where I was at, too. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's part of my journey. When About 15 years ago, uh, I, I began to deal with some of things from my childhood for the first time. Okay. And um, it was a... You know, and I'm right. I'm an associate pastor at a church, and I'm helping people continuing to do the work, and yet struggling myself with with some mental health issues. And I think, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that the journey that we have as pastors is is like anybody else's journey, and uh, we struggle at times, and we're uh, we sometimes are the best at hiding our pain, which mm. is is not good mm-hmm. long term. We can do it. And I got the help that I needed. I, I found a Christian counselor who helped me work through some some issues that had produced some anger that was really inside of me, affected my marriage. Um, we had to to work through those those struggles. But I think it's allowed me just to relate to folks that are that do struggle with mental health issues. So my my encouragement would be to get help, get Christian help uh, with that. There are great Christian counselors, and um, and God in some cases can give you healing without a counselor. That mm-hmm. is definitely, I've seen that happen before. It's not the only path. The path I took is not the only path to, to getting the help you need. Yeah. I think for a long time, authenticity and vulnerability among ministers 
was not seen as a positive. I think our world has changed to the point where that's not as much the issue. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but I think it's, and it goes back to what we're talking about with Jesus. He he experienced all we experienced. He experienced mental anguish. I mean, you see that. Uh, you see him crying over the city of Jerusalem. You see him in pain at the loss of friends who had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you see that he also lived with, with that kind of uh, challenge uh, that we all have, um, and yet continue to trust the Father to see him through that. Yeah. So, yeah. I really appreciate your vulnerability, your your transparency, I should say, with opening up about that. I think that there has been, unfortunately, in the body of Christ, maybe, I don't know if globally, but at least in the United States, seemingly, a, a stigma attached to mental health struggles uh, that that is unfortunate because yeah. it's more prevalent than a lot of people realize. Um, and I think also among younger people, they don't necessarily oftentimes know, and maybe it was our generation, you, you know, I'm a little younger than you, of course, but just thinking if you're in ministry, you kind of have to have it all together. That was the mm-hmm. perception a little bit. If you're in vocational ministry, I'm talking about every believer. It's one of the things I hit on this podcast regularly. According to Ephesians chapter four, every believer is called into ministry. Some are yeah. vocationally, most are not. Mm-hmm. But right. I think there is this elevation of people who are in vocational ministry that they're supposed to kind of have their act together and or have it all together. And boy, is that a lie from the pit that has caused a lot of heartache for for people through the years. And I'm glad to see, I think you're, you're right on that. I think that the church in America has gotten better about, about addressing that. But yeah, so thank you for that. I really appreciate that. So you went from Texas A&M then to the Permian Basin where I met you. Correct. And then from there to Angelo State. And then from Angelo State, did you go to University of Texas? Yeah, I went to, to the University of Texas. It was really a great experience. And, and um, Texas has earned the reputation of being one of the, the most liberal schools in Texas anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, where does Christianity fit into that mm-hmm. that kind of a world? And it was totally different from A&M where there were a lot of believers and very healthy believers and a lot of professors who were believers. So when I got there, I, I was, I felt all alone, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, it was, it was this, there was definitely spiritual warfare around. It was a difficult place, but I also had the experience of seeing God work in ways that I never have seen him work before or since with the body of Christ. There's a group of campus ministers who, uh, one of them came to me and just said, "Hey, we do. We have praise and worship, and and pray together, and pray for each other once a week. We'd love for you to come." And so I came, and there were you know, probably eight or ten campus ministers there, and and we had a great great time. I thought, man, this is good. I'm, I don't feel quite as alone. And then over the next couple of years, I began seeing this group that prayed together. We began to get vision on reach. How do we reach this campus together and instead of a separate? campus ministries, how can how can God work through us to radically change this campus? And so the first question was, where is the campus? Um, and so we did some spiritual mapping is what we called it, uh, where we did some surveys, found out how many students were actually involved in a Christian ministry or a church on a, at least a once a month basis. Um, and out of the 51,000 students, 3,000 were involved in a church or ministry on a monthly basis. At wow. least. So that's where, that was kind of the starting point. So you're looking um, at roughly 6%, right? So Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, exactly. very unchurched and, population. Correct. And um, 
And then, so what do we do with that? And, and basically, make long story short, we, we developed missional communities all over the campus. We had a community in the business school called ROI, Return on Investment. And it was a group of believers, but they, were all, they, they would invite three or four or five non-believers would always be a part of the group. And, and the model was that these believers modeled Christianity, and then the non-believers who were curious about Christianity would begin to also model Christianity. They began to read their Bibles and be involved in, in ministry with those who were believers. And at, at a point in time, many of them would come to faith in Christ. Part of that spiritual mapping, the first year I was there, there were 235 students who, who prayed to receive Jesus Christ. We, we had these students by name. When the campus ministries, uh, over 50 campus ministries ultimately became part of this, we, we would submit names. We didn't say, we, we at our ministry, we had 10 students who came to Christ. Because you know how college students are. They were part of multiple ministries. Right. So we just wanted to get an accurate number. Four years later, nearly 1,000 students came to Christ in one year at the University of Texas, mm. which was amazing. The number of students who are now active in a church or attending a church or a campus ministry at least once a month went from 3,000 to 8,000. The student government uh, elections happened, and Christians, for the first time, dominated the student government at the University of Texas. So... To see a movement like that was life-changing for me, and it happened because of the humility. We were lost in a very lost campus environment as campus ministers. We, you know, what do we do? All we need to do is pray. All we need to do, knew to do, is we need each other instead of competitors. And, uh, your your teammates. That's that's exactly right. So talking about the unity of the body of Christ, really, what we're talking about. Exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about. Which Jesus says in John yeah. chapter, you know, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, this is one of the keys 17. to people knowing yeah. that he is the Lord is through unity of believers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's beautiful. And, I, and that was, that was a, yeah, it's a beautiful picture. I, you know, it, it scared our state convention folks because they'd never seen anything quite like this. You know, they were worried about us losing our denominational distinctive. And those of us that were seeing God at work on campus. <laughs> Who cares about our denominational <laughs> distinctives? Let's praise the Lord that his kingdom's being expanded. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. This has been great. Hey, we're, we're out of time for this episode, but I want to invite you back, Jimmy, and let's let's get into your personal testimony of how you came to know Christ and, and just hear more what God's been doing in your life. So thanks for, for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2023.